So I'm going to give this a shot. Um, Kim uh, Larson, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> said uh, she would give me a dollar if I would sing for the kids to dismiss. So, all right, kids. Uh, Kingdom kids, it's time to go. All right, there we go, Kim. And as, as my wife will tell you, I'm a sucker for a buck, you know? Like, I'll do almost anything. You offer me money, no, really seriously, so whatever. All right, there we go. So, uh, first announcement, Tyler, he's not going to sing it. No, welcome to my life. So that is, I I have a lot of dollar bills because my wife dares me all the time to do all different things. So thank you, Mark, for doing that. I wouldn't have offered you a whole dollar, maybe a nickel, but, but thank you. So my first announcement is Easter, Resurrection Day. I can't believe it's almost here again. And, you know, that's, to me, that's the most exciting holiday we have because of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was risen from the dead. I mean, I'm like, wow. So what better way to celebrate it was, is an Easter egg hunt. So, so we're going to have an Easter egg hunt after service, and you think, oh, is this just for kids? No, it's not just for kids. It's for everybody. i got to tell a story. So last year, we put them all out on the thing. We had this guy named Godzilla walk through and smash all the Easter eggs. I won't tell you who he is, but his name is Randy Brooks. <laughs> oh, yeah, he got a lot, so thank you. So if you'd like to donate pre-filled Easter eggs, you can bring them on Sunday. We have some already. But we're just going to celebrate. You can bring a snack, some food. The church is going to provide the liquids and drinks and some other goodies. So just a time for the families to get together and socialize and just have a great time and just celebrate Jesus being risen from the dead. It's going to be a great time. And I hear there's a rumor that we might have a jolly jump, too, for the kids. So this gives a great opportunity, too, to invite neighbors. So say, oh, there's a jolly jump at our church after service. Then they come. Not to do a bait and switch, but then they can learn about Jesus and know about what we are all about here so and where we get our joy. So please come and join us, um, and we'll keep reminding you about it. So thank you. Uh, the Norris family has an uh, announcement about Mexico. Good morning. Uh, As you know, there's another trip coming up in May to go and serve in Mexico to build houses for families who don't have them. And we thought um, it would be really nice to share our experience in the past um, going down and uh, just being part of the church with other church church bodies um, and coming together to serve down there. So Josie will start. For me, one of the best parts of the trip is at the end when we all gather around the family to pray over them in the house and say goodbye. Um, You just see, like for us, it's a missions trip, and obviously it's very impactful, but for them it changes their whole life. Good morning. So I have been on three home builds in Mexico, and it is one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. Um, You're not only providing a home for a family that doesn't have one, but you're coming home and it's something you're going to remember forever and you're impacting their lives forever. And so the last home build we went on was that we had a verse. It was Galatians 2.20, and I'm going to read it for us. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Good morning. Uh, I'll confess, I did not want to go to Mexico. Um, but uh, having gone, it uh, was really impactful to uh, see our church move as a body through giving and serving uh, with our hands and joining with other churches to come alongside the, uh, the mission there, the folks that are working every day there to come alongside families that have, uh, they have bought the land that they're living on. They are working alongside you. Uh, they've gotten biblical counsel about uh, how to do that, how to, how to buy the land, how to live on it, and to see uh, what, where they're living and what they're dealing with and the circumstances that they're in. And then moving from that to having an actual home with a non-dirt floor and walls is, is powerful. So I'm just, I'm also just want to say that I'm thankful for a church that does do that, does provide that for people and, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a very real way. So, um, One of the things that's most impactful for me is when we have gone down with the girls, um, seeing them meet up with the children and the families there and there's a language barrier, and it could be really awkward and weird, but the kids, like most kids anywhere, they just become fast friends, and they're playing together, and they're working together, and it just is a picture to me of God's kingdom, and that we're all here for one purpose, and we're all here to serve Christ and to make him known, and so when we're there building, um, the kids are just... There's, even though there, were, there are different cultures, different customs, different languages, um, they're just there to, to love each other and play together and work together, and it's pretty awesome to see. And um, the family with the church also, just we're all there working for one purpose, and it's beautiful. So um, having said that, I just want to encourage everyone, everyone here um, that... Whether or not you go to Mexico, we all have a role. Um, we all have a really crucial role. And that is, if you're not going, um, there are other ways to come alongside the families there. One of them is to be praying for the families, to really earnestly be um, blessing them in your prayers and asking God how he wants to move in their lives and to support the team in prayer, and to um, pray for YWAM and the staff there. There's so many ways we can be praying um, for everyone who's going and for the family and all that's happening and the ways God is moving down there. Um, and another way is to give of your resources. Um, there's a lot of money to raise for building homes, and um, our church has been so generous. So we appreciate that and just um, ask you to continue being prayerful about how you can come alongside um, everyone who will be going. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, the women are having a get-together this Friday. 
Friday, 10 a.m., right here at the well. We'll be outside. It'll be, I'm sure it'll be another beautiful day here. And it's just a casual get-together. Um, women enjoy being, to get, uh, being together. Um, there's no big agenda to it. But, you know, it's really great for uh, to get to know people, like even in your own age, kind of your own age group, it's kind of nice to get to know people. But it's also nice to hang out with people that are in different age groups. I mean, as an older woman, I love seeing younger women, and I love little kids and watching them play, and kids are welcome. So please come if you can make it this Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, we'll be out on the patio and outside. Uh, kids are welcome. Friends, if you have a friend that you'd like to invite, please do that. So hope to see you then. Thank you. Um, and the last announcement, kind of following up on what Tyler had talked about relative to Easter, um, the uh, Ojai Valley Ministerial Association, Association OVMA, uh, this is a, a group of pastors around the uh, community that meet together regularly just to work together in partnership to do God's work here in Ojai Valley. Um, and so the last couple of years, uh, we haven't been able to do this, but there is going to be a Good Friday service this year at Libby Bowl. Again, sponsored by the OVMA. Um, it's going to be on April 15th. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. And our church has uh, volunteered to take on the role of both providing and administering communion at uh, that service. And so if you're interested in participating in that, helping to put it together, or actually being there and helping serve communion, Tyler Larson is the contact for that. And uh, with that, I'm going to pray before Richie comes up. Um, Lord, thank you again just for your faithfulness, for your love for us. Lord, we pray right now that you have given and that you will give, Richie, your words uh, for us, Lord, um, just in the teaching that he gives us from your spirit and from your word, Lord, that it is the word that you have given and brought for us right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. In the uh, 1920s, right around 1922, there was a a comic strip, mostly ran in small town newspapers around the country, and uh, the name of the comic strip was uh, Out Our Way. And uh, there was a character in there, and the character was actually nicknamed by his older brother. The younger brother was nicknamed Worrywart. Worrywart, right? There he is right there. And the comic strip ran from the 20s all the way up to the 1970s, about 1977. And uh, the interesting thing about this is that Worrywart uh, was actually not a worrier himself. Worrywart was a nuisance. He was annoying. And what he actually did was he actually caused people to worry. So he was a worrywart, but not that he was a worrier. He created worry, right, through his words and actions and others. And then what happened, it was very interesting, uh, around World War II, the, the term worrywart changed. And it became uh, known as someone who is inclined to worry unduly, one who worries excessively and needlessly, someone who frets over the possibility of trouble. So the comic strip is a worrywart causes worry. Around World War II in our culture, a worrywart becomes me or you. I'm now using the term worrywart to describe me, possibly, because I tend to, as uh, dictionaries define it, worry unduly, excessively, or needlessly. And I was thinking about this uh, issue of worry, stress and worry and being a worry wart and, and things in our culture nationally, globally, maybe in your own life this morning, uh, external things that may be worry warts in the original sense, 
causing you to feel stress and worry. Or maybe some of you here, some of you at home, some of you listening during the week, maybe you would, if you're honest this morning, identify as a worry wart. And I thought, wow, what an incredible time to be speaking about biblical hope and walking on water and the natural versus the supernatural than in the context of what's happening globally, nationally, and maybe even your own life as you sit here this morning. In fact, I found this survey. This survey was called Stress in America, and it was actually done by the American Psychological Association, and it was done in 2022. 2022, Stress in America, and they did two surveys. The first one was done in February, from February 7th to 14th. They surveyed Americans, and they wanted to find the top sources of stress, significant sources of stress. 87%, it was a rise in prices of everyday items due to inflation. 81%, supply chain issues, great source of stress. 81%, global uncertainty, top source of stress. And then because of the circumstances in the the world, they decided to do another one in March, just a couple weeks later based on current events. So they did a survey from March 1st to March 3rd of this year. Here's the results. 87% say that it feels like there has been a constant stream of crises without a break over the last two years. 84% say that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is terrifying to watch. 73% agree that they are overwhelmed by the number of crises facing the world right now. 69% say they are worried the invasion of Ukraine is going to lead to nuclear war. 69% say they fear that we are at the beginning stages of World War III. So depending on your exposure, your engagement with the news and where you're choosing to get your news from, the channels, the YouTubes, right, uh, I'm going to guess that uh, you're going to fall somewhere on the spectrum there of stress, anxiety, worry. And maybe, maybe things in your life are so consuming and so big that, quite honestly, when I speak about uh, Ukraine and Russia and supply chain issues, maybe that's not resonating with you because you're just sort of unplugged from that right now because of the stuff in your own life and you've just been busy or you've got your own Goliaths, right? And so I think that that as we move forward today and, and we focus on this idea of worry and how are we supposed to handle worry, there again, there's no greater time, I, I believe, than, than really as believers... You got to get laser focused and you got to be really disciplined in your mind and in your heart. What is biblical hope? Right? What, how does biblical hope come forward from being written in the pages of Scripture to 2022 when this great percentage of Americans are just under an incredible amount of stress, fear, and worry? Right? An incredible percentage of Americans would probably identify to some degree as a worry wart. Whether it's globally, nationally, economically, financially, relationally, you name it, probably something would put you in the category of worry wart, I'm guessing. So how are we supposed to deal with that? How are we supposed to deal with that? And two weeks ago, we looked at biblical hope versus the world's definition of hope. Remember, the world defines hope as a wishful thinking. I hope so. Crossing the fingers, right? 
That's the world's definition of hope. Biblical hope is a confidence, right? It's a confidence, a confident expectation, a joyful expectation, an eagerness, an absolute certainty of future good. Amen? Right? So, so in one sense, we continuously can live with eternal hope. If you're a believer in Christ, as you sit here, as you listen to this right now, the Bible says your name is written in the book of life. Amen? So and regardless of what's happening globally down to personally right now, the Bible says through faith in Jesus, you can have confidence, assurance, certainty, joy that your name is written in the book of life. Heaven is your home. <laughs> you can have confidence. Your name is written in the book of life. Sins are forgiven, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If something horrific, worst case, were to happen to you today before you put your head on the pillow and go to sleep, you're going to be in heaven. Okay, that's hope. See, see, that's confidence. That's joyful expectation. That's what we're calling to live by, a living hope. Amen? We have a living hope because Jesus is still risen. Right, And in this Lenten season, we're building up to the resurrection. And really, the Bible says we have a living hope, a dynamic hope, an energizing hope. The question is, for you and I as believers, how do we navigate global, national, individual, maybe at work, maybe in your family? How do you navigate all this oppressive stress and worry? How are we going to do that? Because I'll tell you right now, if we do that well, people will come to Jesus. Because there's a world out there. You know what this statistic, you know, the 87%, the 73%, you know what it says to me? That the world needs hope. The world is looking for hope. Not wishful thinking. The world is looking for confident assurance. And who has it? Believers. We have it. And so we're going to continue moving forward and looking at biblical hope. Last week, we looked at Peter getting out of the boat. And as long as he stayed focused on Jesus, he was living a supernatural life. He was experiencing something supernatural. Then the Bible says he saw the waves, he got scared, and began to sink. And we looked at that as in terms of our own life, Monday through Friday, maybe even today. What waves are crashing on your boat? What waves maybe happened this past week to where you kind of, you were doing fine. Anyone ever have that moment when it's maybe not just a mountaintop experience, but anyone ever have a moment when you're feeling pretty good about your walk with Jesus? You're just feeling pretty like things are good, right? You're doing well. And then something happens. You get the text. You get the email. You get the thing in snail mail, right? And suddenly, it just feels like the waves start and the wind starts blowing. And suddenly, you were doing so well, things happen. And suddenly, for whatever reason, we shift just enough to take our focus off of Jesus, off the supernatural, off of God's word, off of walking in the spirit, and we go where? Right to the natural, the flesh, our own understanding. We get consumed with emotions. And just like Peter, we can sort of spiritually sink. 
The good news is when that happens, we, we still cry out to Jesus, save me. And what does he do? Come here, right? Lovingly. What happened, right? And so we're going to continue looking at this and, and this idea of worry. And I'll just kind of let you know right off the bat here. It's going to take us two weeks to kind of walk through this because worry is so pervasive, so ingrained, so habitual, even in the church. We've kind of even got to the place of excusing it, of sort of, oh, that's just the way I am, right? And, and then we'll hear scriptures like the ones we're going to hear in a little bit where we're commanded not to worry and we kind of go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's good. And then we keep right on worrying, right? And I just want to, I want to share with you right off the bat here that, that when we look at this topic and specifically when we look at Matthew 6 and the three commands, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious about your life, right? it would be sort of easier for me just to say, do not worry. Thou shalt not worry. Thou shalt not be anxious. And kind of take this sort of heavy-handed, hammer you over the head, legalistic kind of like approach like, you know what? Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And if you do, you're a loser. And if you do, you're a sinner, and God's not happy with you, and you just are a failure. Right? Because some, some approach it that way. And I want to just share right off the bat that when we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus is not doing this little finger-wagging thing again. Remember when, when we looked at last Sunday when he uh, saves Peter and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We saw that that, oh, you of little faith is actually a nickname. It's just little faith. And Jesus wasn't like, what's wrong with you? You're a horrible Christian, Peter. What are you thinking? He was like, hey, little faith. It was like, hey, it's okay. Gentle encouragement, gentle reproof, but it was gentleness. It was meant to be sort of this teachable, loving moment. And this passage of Matthew 6 is actually because he uses little faith again. And so for you, Jesus is going to be speaking to his disciples, and I, I want you to know that this is not going to be, you know, today and, and next Sunday, one of these do not sin. Or do not worry, it's a sin. Now, we're not going to excuse it because you never excuse disobedience. Okay? But we're talking about the heartbeat of this passage, which is gentle encouragement and gentle reproof. Okay? It's still going to zing us. It's still going to zing us. All right? And so, worry. Why is worry so important? Well, if you think of worry, it's actually in direct opposition to biblical hope. Right? Because biblical hope, we just saw, is a joyful expectation of the future. Right? Look what this says uh, from the biblical counseling keys. It says, a specific characteristic of worry is a negative focus on the future. If you are a worrier, you are spending time speculating on what may or may not happen and then fearing the worst. Right? So we're called to have living hope, living confidence of this great future. Right? Our future forward-looking as believers should be, woohoo, yes. But worry changes all that. It's the direct opposite. Now we're catastrophizing. Now we live in worst-case scenario. And the future is bleak. 
right? We talked about biblical hope should result in joy, right? Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So if we have this living hope, there should be a sense of joy, rejoicing in our life, right? Well, look, Warren Wiersbe says this, from the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking, the mind, and wrong feeling, the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. It is not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because that will never capture the thief. Worry is an inside job, and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is the secure mind. Okay, I I love that. Two aspects of that. One, if we talked about the connection, well, if we have this living hope, where's the joy? So the answer to that question from last Sunday is maybe because you're consumed with worry. It's killing your joy. And also... I love when he says, it's more than just finger wagging. See, worry, worry is pretty, it's pretty layered. It's a lot more complicated than I think people want to make it, okay? And, and I'll share with you moving forward again, just the heartbeat of the passage we're going to look at isn't a hammer you over the head, and even my own personal, just so you know, the, this area of worry for me personally, anxiety, all that kind of stuff, you know, it has been a core challenge, walk on water issue for me for 30 years as a believer. And I'll share my story as we move forward. But, you know, I got to the place where right before I became a believer, worry and anxiety were almost debilitating to me. Like crushing, like I thought I was crazy. Okay? And so I get it. I get it, and I understand the challenge. Sometimes you, you, you recognize the worry. You recognize the anxiety. You get triggered, right, and it sends you possibly off into behaviors where you're just trying to cope, and you're just trying to calm yourself down, and you're just trying to not feel like you're crazy. Like I used to do things out of anxiety and worry that I literally said this to myself. I said, if someone is following me with a camera right now, they're going to think I'm crazy, because it had gotten to such a point that I was just trying to just exist. Daily functioning. All driven by an extreme level of anxiety and worry. Okay? So I get it. And I get it even as a believer. You read these verses and you want with all your heart to, to be free. And you want with all your heart to experience some, some measure of success, if you want to call it that, and, and you want to feel like I made some progress, and sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, and sometimes things are going for a while, and then something happens, and boom, 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 triggers get pushed, and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was past this, okay? So not only is the passage not a hammer you over the head, I'm not a hammer you over the head with this either. I get it. Like probably more than you will ever know, I get the depths and the complexity and the bondage and the extreme agony that comes as a believer with trying to follow Jesus and not worry. I get it. It's very real and it's very human and your emotions and your mind get spinning and sometimes I get it. You just want to throw your hands up. 
And probably the best thing I've learned is, is often those times I just do this, and that's the best place where I need to be. Because some of us, worry is a, is a rabbit hole. And we recognize worry, and we try to stop worrying. That creates more worrying, because now you're worrying that you're even a worse Christian than you were when you first worried, and now you're worried about worrying, right? And suddenly you're like, and that's where we take our eyes off of us, because worry is really about self, okay? And it's a subtle shift from Jesus to the waves, in life, it's a subtle shift from walking the spirit to the flesh, and it becomes it can just send you. So I just want you to know my heart is with you. I get it, and it's a, it, for me, it's a daily choice. It's a moment by moment choice. I know me. I had to I had to prep to be here every Sunday, to come up here. Some people say my wife even says, "I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get up there and speak." Well, honestly, for me to get up here and speak every Sunday is a walk-on-water moment. It just is. And I don't mean that to puff myself up. I'm just telling you, yeah, I don't, I, but for the fact that it's the power of God and the Holy Spirit, <laughs> there's no way I would be up here. Because being up here in front of you and in front of this and now having YouTube going across the world, da-da-da-da-da, yeah, everything in me from a fear, worry, anxiety, insecurity standpoint, how I was raised is like, no way, Jose. Everything in me in the flesh, in the natural, would say, uh-uh, I'm back row. I'm where Mike is. What's up, Mike? I'm where Mike is. Because I'm comfortable back there. In the flesh, I want to sit back there, and I want to sneak in late, and I want to leave early, grabbing a donut and coffee on my way to my car. Thank you. <laughs> That's just kind of how I'm wired. Right? Like, oh, you're up there, and you're so good, and you're like, da, 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 da. My, 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 my kids know I am, like, way introverted. Like, fine and dandy watching March Madness for hours yesterday. So good. <laughs> Just me and March Madness. I'm fine. But they, oh, but you're a church. And I, I, I love you. I love this. I love this. But, but this is, honestly... By the grace of God, I am what I am. I, 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 okay? So, I don't know how we got there, but just <laughs> this issue of worry and anxiety, it, it's, it's complex. And sometimes in the church, we want to oversimplify. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says, and we lay this guilt trip on you without knowing your story, without taking time to get what's going on, to get to, to hear your wounds, to hear your trauma, to hear your betrayals, to kind of get why you're struggling with worry and anxiety to the degree that you are. But no, it's much easier for me. Here, here's some verses. Let me know how they worked. That's cleaner and it's simpler, for, at least for me, because then we don't have to deal with the mess of each other's lives. And, and I get that. So we're going to kind of march through this slowly. If it takes more than two, that's fine. But I just want you to know that I'm with you, and I get it. I just get it, okay? Uh, why is worry also important? Because it, it does affect our witness and testimony about God's nature and character. Remember in 1 Peter 3, it said this, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. 
And if someone asks about your hope, always be ready to explain it. So part of our testimony is hope, a living hope, confident expectation, right? We should have this sort of joy. And that should cause people to want to ask at the restaurant or whatever, right? June Hunt says this, worry shifts the focus of attention from the all-sufficient power of Christ to your human insufficiency and insecurity. Ultimately, worry can undermine your Christian witness by presenting God as impotent and unworthy of praise. Think about that. We just sang some incredible songs in Christ alone, right? Cornerstone, these incredible songs. And, and, and I'm not saying you don't believe it, but if you live a life of worry and anxiety and, a, and, a, and an unbelieving world is watching you, it's kind of reasonable for them to wonder if you really believe in this God that you say you believe in. It's, it's, it's reasonable for the world to look at our lives and, and if they see us consumed with worry and anxiety, scratch their head and go, is God God? So, so it's kind of weighty as the church, remember Jesus, in the passage we're going to be looking at, he's speaking to his followers, his disciples. So in this context, the church, how we choose, it's just a choice we make, to handle worry and anxiety has a direct impact on the testimony we have. Because people are watching you and listening to you. And moms and dads, as a father of five, I'll encourage you and remind you your kids are watching you in the area of worrying and anxiety. That's your first audience. How is mom and dad dealing with the finances? How is mom and dad dealing with the global issues? They're picking up a view of God and they're picking up what it means to be a follower of Jesus by watching you, mom and dad. So it's weighty. It's weighty, okay? And so we're going to look at this because... Uh, it just is so important in today's culture and everything going on that the church comes back to really glorifying God in how we handle the worries and stress of life. Amen? Okay? I love going to Mexico, and Mexico is a great experience, and it's a great testimony, and we should all support that. But you know what? A greater testimony and greater mission field? Oh, hi. Right now how you live, and how you move, moving forward with worry and stress, there's your mission field. There's the impact. There's being salt and light. That's why this is so important, okay? So in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And, and he's going to be speaking about the basics or the necessities of life, food, clothing, okay? And what's very important is just remember He's speaking to the people who lived at a very subsistence level, right? Their, their food was dependent on seasonal rains, right? So he's, he's speaking to people when he says, hey, do not worry, you know, about your life, what you would eat. These are people who had every reason to worry, right? And that's why it's so relevant to today. And that's why I think sometimes these passages, there's a disconnect in the American church because quite honestly, there's a very high percentage of us here and at home who aren't worried about your food or your clothing or your shelter, right? You didn't wake up today having to ask God 
that there would be rain so we could. Now, supply chain issues and uh, kind of gets the American culture a little bit more worried. Gas prices and things that are hitting us in the pocketbook and empty store shelves. Suddenly we're a little bit more, I think, able to resonate with what was going on in this passage. So he's speaking to people, just very important. He's speaking to people that literally were dependent on God. Literally, we're dependent on God for the necessities. That's the context of this passage, okay? So I'm going to read the whole thing. It's kind of long, very familiar, but Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into your barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Now, in the NIV, some of you read the NIV, every, every place it said, do not be anxious, it's do not worry. Do not worry. Okay? And in, in fact, in this passage, it's the same Greek word is for worry and, and anxiety or anxious. Do not be anxious, the same Greek word. Translations just use, use one or the other. Okay? So we're commanded three times not to be anxious, not to worry. Okay? So just kind of a survey, don't raise your hand or anything like that. How are you doing with those three commands? Do not worry, do not be anxious. Okay, and actually what, what the way that it's written in the grammar, it's what they call a present imperative command. It means stop an action already in progress. So some of us who walked in here, maybe identified as a worry wart, this passage right now is like, Stop. An action already in progress. So, how many of you need to stop? An action already in progress. Keep your hands down. Well, thank you, but, you know, keep your hands down. Stop an action already in progress. Are you worrying about something? Did you bring it in? How was this past seven days? Anxious? Right? Stop an action already in progress. And again, we're commanded three times, so it's a command. We're not excusing sin. We never want to excuse sin, right? So if we're not obeying scripture, it's sin. It's not, okay? What we are saying is that we need to look to the heart of the issue. Because at the heart of the issue is that worry and anxiety, the heart of it, it's a relational issue between you and Father. What's going on here, okay, The root of this sin issue is trust. 
faith in your father. Remember, he's speaking to believers. So, so we, have to, we have to be very careful that it's just like, hey, don't sin, don't sin. You know, it's like, no, what is the root? What's going on when he says, don't worry, don't be anxious? In that passage, underlying the whole thing is, you're a child of God. Amen? You're a child of God. Your father does all this for the birds and the animals. Your father knows the root of worry and anxiety is really a relational issue. That's what's going on here. It's a relational issue of deep hope and trust and faith. Amen? That's what's really going on here. Okay? Now, it's interesting that the word worry, the etymology or the origin of the word worry, you know what it means in the Old English? To strangle. Yes. Strangle your joy. Strangle your peace. Isn't that crazy? The word worry comes from old English word that means to strangle. Now, a Middle English word, it means to grasp by the throat with the teeth and lacerate, to kill or injure by biting or shaking, right? You ever have your dog get his favorite toy? What does he do? Right? That's, that's a word picture for worry. That's what worry is doing to your life. It's grabbing you by the throat and shaking you. And yet, why do we keep doing it? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Ray Pritchard says this. Worry is excessive concern over the affairs of life. The key, obviously, is the word excessive. It is an all-consuming feeling of uncertainty and fear, and it is a sin. Worry is a sin for two reasons. First, because it displaces God in your life. When you commit the sin of worry, you are living as though God did not exist. And you are living as though you alone can solve your problems. Second, because it distracts you from the things that really matter in life. As long as you are worrying, you can't do anything else. You are strangled by worry. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. That's what's going on here. It displaces God in your life. There's a phrase I've come across a couple times in 30 years called practical atheism. Practical atheism being lived by believers. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means your life reveals practical atheism. Like there's some areas of your life, the way you live as is, is as if you don't believe in God. And worry and anxiety can actually be revealing of that. Practical atheism, right? And then it says, because it distracts you from the things that really matter in life. The definition of worry and anxiety is to be drawn or pulled in different directions, to have a, distract, a distracting care. It's a combination of worry, fear, and dread. How many of you have ever had situations in your life come in and you just like feel like you're pulled in all kinds of directions? <sighs> right? All these things pulling at you. That's the word picture for worry and anxiety, being pulled, being distracted, a distracting care. Okay? Now, on the other hand, when he says, do not worry, it is not an excuse to be lazy or idle. Well, <laughs> don't worry. I'm just going to sit back. God's going to provide everything. I don't have to do a thing. That is not what this means either. Let's just be clear. Okay. Second Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. 
because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay? So this idea of not worrying about the basic necessities of life, it does not mean be lazy, be idle, do nothing. You still have to work hard. Use your God-given gifts and talents. Be a good steward of it. Okay? And so I want to just kind of maybe unpack this a little bit today, okay, kind of in a, in a general sense. Like I said, worry has some layers to it. And it's sometimes such an oversimplification to say, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about it, right? And, and it's really interesting because if worry impacts our joy, if worry impacts our testimony, if worry and anxiety actually negatively impact our physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health, right? Why do we do it? You ever wonder, like, on paper, it makes no sense to worry. So, so rather than just pointing fingers and, and hitting you over and said, oh, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, why don't we just ask ourselves just a little bit this morning, and this is, you know, part of my journey, part of my research, part of just helping us to take a deep breath and be willing to look at, well, maybe why? And this is important. Sometimes as believers... I just want to encourage you with this. We need to take the time to know each other's stories and what makes us tick. Rather than being real quick to, well, you know the Bible says. I know what the Bible says, thank you. Right? What, what I don't necessarily know all the time is why I do what I do. Well, it's sin. I know well, it's the flesh. I know. But I'm still trying to figure out why I'm doing this. What is driving me? What's, what, what's underlying? Do you understand, you understand what I'm saying? Some of you get what I'm saying, right? There's reasons. I was in a men's group like 20, 30 years ago, and I shared something. And it was the first time that, that somebody actually, one of the guys looked at me and they said, huh, I wonder what's driving that. And I remember that 30 years later, rather than throwing a verse at me, rather than saying you shouldn't do that, a brother listens to this issue, very common to all you men, and he goes, huh, I wonder what's driving that. And I, I'll never forget that because it was the first time that really someone lovingly challenged me to ask myself, what's what makes you tick in that area? Why is that a thing to you? Right? And so when it comes to worry, rather than just excusing it, rather than just saying, well, you know, it's just part of being human. It's just the way I am. Let, let's just, I just want to share with you some of the things that have come across that in a very strange way, despite all the negative consequences, we have flipped worry into something positive. Why else would we do it? We have somehow made it beneficial or a positive thing in our life that somehow helps us. Now think about that. Why else would you do it? 
Okay, so we're gonna, I'm just going to go on this list and just, just trying to get you maybe to answer the question, what's driving you in this area? Number one, worry and anxiety, you know what? They're actually pretty powerful motivators. People who are worried and anxious, they get a lot done out of fear. And I'm going to share a personal thing I shared with, with my wife. This week has been, in this particular area, one of those moments of God saying, bing, 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 here you go. I want to know what drives you. Because I've shared with you before, I come from a very academic, academically successful family, straight A's, seventh grade, all the way through, first B and 12th grade, you know. And I remember, though, and I'm processing this, I'm like, I remember the extreme red line worry and anxiety I got every time report cards were about to come out. Every time there was a test. You know what motivated me to straight A's and to get into UCLA? In retrospect, worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. Worry that I was not going to be accepted, belong, measure up to my brother who went to Naval Academy, my sister who went to Air Force Academy, Berkeley. Worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety that I wasn't going to get into a good school. Worry and anxiety that I was going to get a B and be a failure. See, we, we, we flip worry and anxiety into something positive because it motivates us in a very sort of unhealthy way. We're driven by fear, perfectionism. Maybe that's what. I know for me, that was a biggie. Biggie. I got a lot done. I achieved a lot of success. Got a lot of trophies and a lot of plaques on the wall. And you ask me, hey, man, what drove you? I'll tell you right now, based on this week and what God showed me, worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. Okay? Maybe that's for you. Why do we still worry? Why are we still anxious? Because we believe, perhaps, that worrying, by worrying, we're actually helping to prevent something bad from happening. Or maybe helping something good to happen by worrying. Think about it. Sometimes we worry because we think that by worrying, we're helping something bad not to happen just because we're worrying. Worrying gives us a sense or feeling of control, safety, or certainty in situations that create fear. It's a response. We're trying to, what do we do? We go to worry because it gives us a sense, it gives us something to do. It, it kind of placates us a little bit. That's worry. Some places we have flipped worry into a positive personality characteristic. We actually celebrate being a worrier. It's a virtue. You ever hear Anyone say, I worry about you because I love you. See, we've turned worry into a symbol of love. Okay? Worry gives us a sense of preparation for worst case scenario. We will never be surprised or hurt. Why? Because I constantly worry about everything. I'll be right one of these times, I guess. So worry protects us from being surprised or hurt because we live in worst case scenario catastrophizing 24-7. Never going to get caught off guard. That's what we do. Worry 
makes us feel like we're doing something when in actuality we're using it as a means of avoiding taking proactive and potentially uncomfortable actions, which means this. I'm worrying, and rather than taking proactive steps to go have an uncomfortable conversation with someone or resolve an issue or do something very practical, I use worry as sort of an escape so I don't have to actually take proactive steps. I just worry. I just worry. And finally, worry can make us feel like we're connected or needed by others. Great example is, you know, my child goes away to college and I'm sort of missing that relation of that physical presence. So what do I do to feel connected or needed by my son or daughter? I worry about them. It's this relational compensation thing. Right? So I was looking at that and I'm like, oh my gosh. That's, that's painful in some ways when, if you're willing to actually look at it and, and ask yourself, Lord, would you please show me in my life area, areas or an area where I have flipped worry and anxiety into something positive and beneficial? Would you show me that, please? Because it, it's really not healthy. And actually in Matthew 6, I'm commanded three times not to worry or be anxious. And, and yeah, my wife asks me, uh, you know, sometimes I go through things, and I was going through it this week, and, and in the end, it's all good, right? God's showing you things. How many of you have ever been, God's like showing you things in your life, and it's just not very pleasant at the moment? Anyone? <laughs> so I'm going through that, you know, and, and my wife comes home from work, and she's like, how was your day? And I don't even know how to answer sometimes. Because I know, you know, biblically, it was good. Because all things work for good. And I said, you want to know how my day was today? Picture like a scab being ripped off your arm. But it was all good. And that's sometimes God, you know, he'll... If you ask, he'll show you. You open your heart and you say, Lord, show me worry and anxiety. He's like, yo, dude. And all those report cards, yeah. And it was stunning. It was like, because now I have to reframe. Now I have to re-examine like all those years of perfectionism, worry and anxiety that resulted in accolades and UCLA and USD and law school, all that stuff that was driven by worry and anxiety. I'm kind of like, you know what's very strange for me? I'm just going to be very transparent. What's strange for me is now I'm realizing I'm not sure how to operate without worry and anxiety. If that's been the driver. And, and that even came into when I became a pastor. Because you can get into worry and anxiety in the church. Well, are people going to show up? Is there going to be money? Are they going to like this? And, and if I'm not careful, that performance-driven worry, anxiety, motive that got me all these things in the worldly sense, I could have brought it right into the church. And there's a lot of churches that are run that way still because the pastors are still driven by worry and anxiety, a failure of man, of finances, of attendance figures. And so again, I have to live and I'm learning what it is to live my life 
motivated by a desire to love and honor God. Why? Because he loves me. I'm, I'm having my sanctification, and it's been ongoing, and it will, is to learn to live without being driven primarily by worry and anxiety. Because I fine-tune that art. I get a ton done when I'm worried. How many of you tend to procrastinate? And then you procrastinate, and then the worry and anxiety builds up? And then how many of you get a lot done when the worry and anxiety gets to that level, right? And you're like, oh, oh, the paper, oh, taxes, I got to file taxes, oh, I got to, right? And, we, and you're here, and you just somehow, there's this worry and anxiety level that gets you moving. And then all that pent-up worry and anxiety, you get it done in record time. Any amens? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you got all these, right? I get it. This is very real. This is like rubber meets the road. And, and I just felt like, you know, we got, I just want you to be, be okay here at the well being human. We don't excuse sin. I'm, this is not like, you know, it's so funny because this has been my approach um, since I've been in ministry. And honestly, I have been accused, okay? I have been accused of being light on sin. And, and you know, sometimes you're like, well, that's a bummer, you know? That creates worry and anxiety. Oh, Lord, am I being... <laughs> like one negative comment or criticism sends you down the worrying anxiety, right? right okay. Let me just clear the air. We are not light on sin, meaning we don't excuse disobedience to God's word around here. Amen. We believe God's word is truth and we believe God's word for the believer is authoritative. Okay. We believe also that it requires a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit to obey God's word. And we also believe we're in sanctification. We are in works in progress, okay? And if you come to me or you come to one of the elders and you want to talk about something, just know it's not a this here at the well. It's more of a this. Let's go to coffee. What's, what, what do you think drives you, man? I know you feel guilty. I know you feel condemned, but it's, it's okay. We get it. We know what God's word says. What I really want to know is what's behind this. Okay? That is not being light on sin. That is loving someone where they're at. Okay? And so, yes, we're always going to come back to scripture. Yes, we're always going to speak the truth in love. But around here, you have the permission to be human and honest and authentic because nobody in this room including me, has it all together, okay? Especially in this area of worry and anxiety, okay? Because I know y'all are going to leave here very soon and something's going to happen and you get worried and anxious probably within the hour after leaving here, right? I get it. I get it. It's okay. We're going to work through this together. So, Maybe the, some of those things that we talked about will help you just to process. The key is process. Everyone say process. We're in process. 
We're in sanctification. I went through that list because it's just sometimes helpful to identify it. You have that like, oh, I get it. And once you have that, oh, I get it, now you know how to pray. Now you know how to seek counsel because you know strategically and specifically what the driver is. Amen? But sometimes we live in so generalities and so much oversimplification that we don't take time to get to know what the root is. We just want you to get your act together. And that just leads to guilt and condemnation. And we just throw this legalistic burden all on you again. And we didn't even take the time to get to know your story. Okay? It's not us around here. So process it this week. Think about it. Where do you land on this worry and anxiety? And, and what also might be helpful, okay, is that there's a difference between worry and concern. Worry slash anxiety versus concern and care. Now, you want to know something crazy? Worry, anxiety, concern, and care, same Greek word. You have to look at the context. When it's used in a negative sense, it's worry and anxiety. When it's used in a positive sense, a biblical, it's okay to have concern and care. Okay, we're not robots. What I love about this, like Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Same word, but in a general in a, in a positive, biblical, good sense, okay? Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12. That there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same what? Care for one another. Okay, so huge, 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 because words matter, right, Bill? Words matter. It is biblically correct to say, I am concerned or I care for you. That's what we're to have for one another, is concern and care, okay? Very important, okay? It's not like the Bible's like, oh, you should have no feelings. Oh, no. no, I'm concerned and I've got five kids. I'm concerned and care about them all the time. During the week, I pray for all of you because I'm concerned and care about you. But that's a big, you're welcome, but that's a big difference that's the big difference in saying I'm worried and anxious about you, right? So biblically, it's good to have concern and care. That's a positive thing. We're actually supposed to have it for each other, all right? So I just want to share some things I came across to help us because, again, I don't think in the church a lot of us ever knew the distinction between worry and concern. It's just thou shalt not worry. And it's like, okay, but what am I supposed to do? Because I still feel for the person. But we're left hanging. Because like, do not worry wipes everything out. And you're like, uh, but I care. But I'm concerned. Oh, no. Okay, so let me just, I'm just going to read some things. That I, I'm just, again, just hoping it helps you. Dr. Winfred Neely. We should care. We should be concerned. If we are having financial struggles, we don't have to worry about that. But we should be concerned. If our children are not well, we don't have to worry, but we should be concerned. As God's people, we are to be deeply concerned. Healthy care and concern is one of the hallmarks of a healthy church life. Worry is concern that is separated from the grace, power, love, and wisdom of God. 
It's concern that we address in our own strength. It's concern that we handle by thinking that we are facing life alone and we have to deal with our problems alone without God's help. Do you see the difference? So good, so liberating. Basically, worry eliminates God. Concern brings God right into the mix. This is how we as believers handle life's issues, okay? Dr. Harold Salas says this, frankly, the difference between worry and concern from a biblical perspective has to be framed in the context of how you face trouble rather than specific words. Because the Greek word for worry, marimnao, is translated both worry and concern. It's the context of how you handle it and what you think about it that determines whether you are worried or concerned. So what is the bottom line difference between worry and concern? It is how you position God in relationship to your trouble. Shut him out of the loop and you worry. And you had better worry too. But mentally put God between you and your problem and you have concern, but the problem is not hopeless because God is your hope. Amen? See? That's like liberating. It's good to be concerned. It's good to have care for one another. But you do it with God as your hope, right? But, you know, you, you got to be careful because you can slide from one to the other, right? Here's a, here's a, how many of you can see the cross right there, right? You just look at it. Put your finger like this if you want. You don't have to. Now keep moving that finger right there until it blocks out the cross. Anyone to get there, right? Isn't that crazy? You can get that finger right there and it blocks out that huge cross. Well, that's what happens. When you slide into worry, you focus on it, focus on it, focus on it, and it gets so big that it blocks out God. Okay? Big difference. Caleb Suko says this, one of the most striking differences between these two uses of the word merimna is the fact that genuine concern is always focused on others, but worry is not. In fact, worry is one of the most selfish activities that we can engage in. When genuine concern crosses over the line and becomes worry, it ceases to be motivated by love and instead is motivated by fear. When fear becomes the main motivator, the concern is no longer the well-being of the other person, but rather a desire for control and safety. In tough times, genuine concern asks, how can I help you? But worry asks, what will I do if something happens to you? Can you see the shift in focus from you to I? Okay? Just again, another thing to think about between worry and concern. See, concern can actually be a positive motivator. Like if you're concerned for your health, what can you do? Change your diet. Begin exercising. See, concern moves you to positive action, actions that can bring resolution. If you're concerned about your kids' welfare or behaviors in your kids, what do you do? Have a conversation with them. You come alongside someone. Concern is still a very positive motivator for you to do something to address the concerns. You're concerned about a brother's, uh, maybe his choices in life. Well, out of concern, you go speak to the brother. You share your care and concerns biblically. Okay, so concern brings God into it, keeps God in it, and can motivate you to do something. Okay? So it's okay to be concerned, and that care for one another, okay? Be free in that. And in the close, we'll go back to Matthew 6. He says this, therefore, do not be anxious, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we're going to, you know, that's the closing of this passage. And I just want to close as we launch into next Sunday. Just Jesus says, you know what? Okay. The Gentiles, the NIV says pagans. The unbelievers, sure, they're consumed with the necessities of life, accumulating it, material things. That's all they have. He says, hey, but your heavenly father knows what you need. Amen? This is the gentle encouragement and reproof. Church, your heavenly father knows what you need right now. He knows. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Your father knows what you need. Amen? He knows. Start, come back. Come back. You're watching global issues, national issues, all the way down into your home. Father knows. It's a heart issue. It's trust. It's rest. It's peace. Right? And he says, seek first the kingdom. So if you're not supposed to worry, what are you supposed to do? Seek first the kingdom. That should be the priority. Loving God. Seeking to glorify him. Put off worry and anxiety and put on the kingdom. That's what you should be about. Right? Lawrence Richards. The pagan is gripped by anxiety because he faces an uncertain tomorrow. The Christian who has a personal relationship with God as his father relies on one who not only knows, but also controls tomorrow. When we appreciate how much God loves us, we no longer feel pressure to run after even the necessities of life. This frees us to set right priorities and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What a joy to worry about nothing except pleasing Jesus. Okay? Come back. Maybe you got, oh, I'm so, uh, because you just lost your focus and your priorities. Come back. Seek him first. Seek him first. I was thinking of that, and I thought of, uh, you know, good old Chick-fil-A. Good old Chick-fil-A. Founder Truett Cathy, 1946. His first restaurant was called the Dwarf Grill in Georgia. And when he opened his first restaurant, because he was professing Christian, very faithful Christian. All the way back, 1946, he said, we're not open on Sundays. We're not open on Sundays. Sundays are reserved for the Lord. I want to give my staff and their families, if they want, a chance to worship. And that carried over into why Chick-fil-A's are still closed on Sundays. And it's amazing. I was reading an article, and back, apparently back in 2012, the LA Times, they tried to figure out how much money he was, quote-unquote, losing. Back in 2012, they estimated $47.5 million by being closed on Sundays and lost revenue. Imagine since. But was that, what was that decision based on? Priorities. Right? Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. He drove the stake in the ground back in 1946. That's why I'm so blessed that many of you Come here, many of you watch online, because this is priority. Now I get it. Some people need to work on Sundays. It doesn't mean you can't have a Sabbath on another day. Wink, wink, I work on Sundays. 
In fact, what's funny is that people say, hey, you're a pastor. Don't you only work one day a week? I'm like, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're real. We're real. No, but if you can't, if you have to work on a Sunday, I get it, right? We're not like, oh, it has to be Sunday. But you still can carve out another day to have a Sabbath with the Lord. Okay? It's just priorities. Right? People do what they want to do. Priority. So if we don't worry, we're not anxious, we seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Next week, we're going to continue uh, looking. We're actually going to look through the passage and see what Jesus says about why we shouldn't worry. Uh, but I just want to close with this. Because it's an issue again of, if I have a relationship with God, how am I going to handle the worries and stresses of life? Versus, oh man, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. Maybe that's a first step, right? And so Bruce Larson in Believe and Belong tells how he helped people struggling to surrender their lives to Christ, is what he says. For many years, I worked in New York City and counseled at my office any number of people who were wrestling with this yes or no decision regarding Jesus. Often I would suggest that they walk with me from my office down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. In the entrance of that building is a gigantic statue of Atlas, a beautifully proportioned man who, with all his muscles straining, is holding the world upon his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand up under this burden. Now that's one way to live, I would point out to my companion, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. But now come across the street with me. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, perhaps eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he is holding the world in one hand. My point was illustrated graphically. We have a choice. We can carry the world on our shoulders, or we can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, the whole world. Father, thank you. Thank you that you literally have the whole world in your hands. And Father, this, uh, this current situation that we find ourselves in, March 20th, 2022, globally, nationally, all the way down into our homes. Whew. Father, we need you. We've spoken a lot about worry, anxiety, and we hear very clearly in Matthew 6, three times you say, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be anxious. And yet, in our human, humanness, in our humanity, in our frailty, in our flesh, Father, we confess, man, I wish it was that easy. And so, Father, would you search our hearts and speak lovingly, speak truthfully, speak speak with great gentleness about this area of worry and anxiety. And in this time, Father, we'll use it as a time to confess. Maybe we need to confess that we have been in bondage to worry and anxiety. 
that it has been a distraction, it has displaced you. In fact, the driver, the motivator in many areas of our life is anxiety and worry rather than you. So, Father, we confess this. We confess our lack of faith. We confess our lack of trust. We confess, Father, we've lost sight. We just got so consumed that we forgot we are children of God, saved by the blood of Jesus, and heaven is our home. So as we sing this song, I give you an opportunity to pray, confess, reflect, whatever it is in the area of worry and and purpose. Maybe it's just a time to say, Father, I want to come back. I want to seek you first. I got to get my priorities right. Father, I'm coming back. And maybe for the first time, you'll put your faith in Christ. Believe on him as your Savior and Lord. Begin with that relationship. So, I'm going to give this a shot. Um, Kim uh, Larson, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) said uh, she would give me a dollar if I would sing for the kids to dismiss. So, all right, kids. Kingdom kids, it's time to go. All right, there we go, Kim. And as, as my wife will tell you, I'm a sucker for a buck, you know? Like, I'll do almost anything. You offer me money, no, really seriously, so whatever. All right, there we go. So, uh, first announcement, Tyler, he's not going to sing it. No, welcome to my life. So that is, I I have a lot of dollar bills because my wife dares me all the time to do all different things. So thank you, Mark, for doing that. I wouldn't have offered you a whole dollar, maybe a nickel, but but thank you. So my first announcement is Easter, Resurrection Day. I can't believe it's almost here again. And, you know, that's, to me, that's the most exciting holiday we have because of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was risen from the dead. I mean, I'm like, wow. So what better way to celebrate it was is an Easter egg hunt. So, so we're going to have an Easter egg hunt after service, and you think, oh, is this just for kids? No, it's not just for kids. It's for everybody. i got to tell a story. So last year, we put them all out on the thing. We had this guy named Godzilla walk through and smash all the Easter eggs. I won't tell you who he is, but his name is Randy Brooks. <laughs> oh, yeah, he got a lot, so thank you. So if you'd like to donate pre-filled Easter eggs, you can bring them on Sunday. We have some already. But we're just going to celebrate. You can bring a snack and some food. The churches can provide the liquids and drinks and some other goodies. So just a time for the families to get together and socialize and just have a great time and just celebrate Jesus being risen from the dead. It's going to be a great time. And I hear there's a rumor that we might have a jolly jump, too, for the kids. So this gives a great opportunity, too, to invite neighbors. So say, oh, there's a jolly jump at our church after service. Then they come. Not to do a bait and switch, but then they can learn about Jesus and know about what we are all about here so and where we get our joy. So please come and join us, um, and we'll keep reminding you about it. So thank you. Uh, the Norris family has an uh, announcement about Mexico. Good morning. Uh, As you know, there's another trip coming up in May to go and serve in Mexico to build houses for families who don't have them. And we thought 
um, it would be really nice to share our experience in the past, um, going down and uh, just being part of the church with other church, body, church bodies um, and coming together to serve down there. So Josie will start. Um, for me, one of the best parts of the trip is at the end when we all gather around the family to pray over them in the house and say goodbye. Um, you just see, like for us, it's a missions trip, and obviously it's very impactful, but for them it changes their whole life. Good morning. So I have been on three home builds in Mexico, and it is one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. Um, you're not only providing a home for a family that doesn't have one, but you're coming home and it's something you're going to remember forever and you're impacting their lives forever. And so the last home build we went on was that we had a verse. It was Galatians 2.20, and I'm going to read it for us. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Good morning. Uh, I'll confess, I did not want to go to Mexico. Um, but uh, having gone, it uh, was really impactful to uh, see our church move as a body through giving and serving uh, with our hands and joining with other churches to come alongside the, uh, the mission there, the folks that are working every day there to come alongside families that have, uh, they have bought the land that they're living on. They are working alongside you. Uh, they've gotten biblical counsel about uh, how to do that, how to, how to buy the land, how to live on it, and to see uh, what, where they're living and what they're dealing with and the circumstances that they're in. And then moving from that to having an actual home with a non-dirt floor and walls is it's powerful. So I'm just I'm also just want to say that I'm thankful for a church that does do that, does provide that for people and, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a very real way. So um, one of the things that's most impactful for me is when we have gone down with the girls, um, seeing them meet up with the children and the families there and there's a language barrier, and it could be really awkward and weird, but the kids, like most kids anywhere, they just become fast friends, and they're playing together, and they're working together, and it just is a picture to me of God's kingdom, and that we're all here for one purpose, and we're all here to serve Christ and to make him known. And so when we're there building, um, the kids are just... There's, even though there, were, there are different cultures, different customs, different languages, um, they're just there to, to love each other and play together and work together, and it's pretty awesome to see. And um, the family with the church also, just we're all there working for one purpose, and it's beautiful. So um, having said that, I just want to encourage everyone, everyone here um, that... Whether or not you go to Mexico, we all have a role. Um, we all have a really crucial role. And that is, if you're not going, um, there are other ways to come alongside the families there. One of them is to be praying for the families, to really earnestly be um, 
blessing them in your prayers and asking God how he wants to move in their lives and to support the team in prayer and to um, pray for YWAM and the staff there. There's so many ways we can be praying um, for everyone who's going and for the family and all that's happening and the ways God is moving down there. Um, and another way is to give of your resources. Um, there's a lot of money to raise for building homes, and um, our church has been so generous. So we appreciate that and just um, ask you to continue being prayerful about how you can come alongside um, everyone who will be going. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, the women are having a get-together this Friday, 10 a.m., right here at the well. We'll be outside. It'll be, I'm sure it'll be another beautiful day here. And it's just a casual get-together. Um, women enjoy being, to get, uh, being together. Um, there's no big agenda to it. But, you know, it's really great for uh, to get to know people, like even in your own age, kind of your own age group. It's kind of nice to get to know people, but it's also nice to hang out with people that are in different age groups. I mean, as an older woman, I love seeing younger women and I love little kids and watching them play and kids are welcome. So please come if you can make it this Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, we'll be out on the patio and outside. Uh, kids are welcome. Friends, if you have a friend that you'd like to invite, please do that. So hope to see you then. Thank you. Um, and the last announcement, kind of following up on what Tyler had talked about relative to Easter, um, the uh, Ojai Valley Ministerial Association, Association OVMA, uh, this is a, a group of pastors around the uh, community that meet together regularly just to work together in partnership to do God's work here in Ojai Valley. Um, and so the last couple of years, uh, we haven't been able to do this, but there is going to be a Good Friday service this year at Libby Bowl. Again, sponsored by the OVMA. Um, it's going to be on April 15th. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. And our church has uh, volunteered to take on the role of both providing and administering communion at uh, that service. And so if you're interested in participating in that, helping to put it together, or actually being there and helping serve communion, Tyler Larson is the contact for that. And uh, with that, I'm going to pray before Richie comes up. Um, Lord, thank you. Again, just for your faithfulness, for your love for us. Lord, we pray right now that you have given and that you will give, Richie, your words uh, for us, Lord, um, just in the teaching that he gives us from your spirit and from your word, Lord, that it is the word that you have given and brought for us right now. Amen.